What's up, everybody? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Thursday, April 4th, 2019. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Miller, alongside the busiest lady in the business, Andrea Renee. What's good, Greg? This outfit, very Halloween. Oh, thank you. I wasn't intending that. I just brought a t-shirt for Gamescast to throw over it. Sure. So I had to kind of like go a little bit more profesh sure, okay. for Games Daily, okay. and then I'm going to dress it down a little bit for Gamescast. So you just put a t-shirt over this dress? Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. I Female know. fashion. Exactly. Or fashion in general. I don't know either. There's a shirt I got for free in an event, and I'm like, wow. Well, it's a beautiful for a, color, a though. a gig, I guess. Yeah, right? And the best part is, somebody pointed out, when I wear the black suit coat over it, I'm, I'm, if I get a baby in a bottle, it's Guillermo del Toro from Death Stranding. Oh, like, I have built-in cosplay with this did outfit. Did not notice. Which I'm a big fan of. There you go. So, uh, Kevin, I need you to Google baby in a bottle. Buy me a baby in a bottle. All right. That seems like a not necessary thing. Well, I'm just saying, if I'm that close to being done with the cosplay, what are you going to do? I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not going to do it. (laughs) Why? You know what I mean? Can you just help me out once in a while? I'll get you the shot call if you really want it. No, it's fine. I'm really good about it now. I'm really good. It's similar to Xbox Game Pass where Andrea trained me monetarily not to say games. Andrea, you've been gone for a while. What's up? I know. Well, I just got back late last night. Uh, My flight got delayed. Um, But I was in... Naples, Florida, for a couple of days visiting my in-laws, John's parents, and then I was Naples. in Boston. Oh, Naples, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you have some good pizza there? Um, I did not. Yeah. Well, Italy, you know. Naples, all, Italy, yeah, yeah the, the birthplace of pizza. Yeah. I did uh, not have any pizza. How was PAX East? It was incredible. Yeah. Um, huge thank you to everybody who came out to the meet and greet. Tons of best friends were there, uh, which was so nice to talk to everybody about. Kind of funny, in addition to what's good. The panel went great. The panel I did with Justin Roiland for Squatch was super, was super fun. fun. Yeah. Had a great time. All in all, very excellent show. Awesome. Yeah, we recorded our panel, What's Good Games Live. So if you guys want to listen to that, it is in the What's Good Games podcast feed that's awesome is it going up on youtube too uh no because we didn't record the video gotcha one step at a time hey man i'm just checking just trying to be clear you know what i mean that's Go the next ne- pax west that's the goal so yeah. you have video and audio gotcha what you should do is just have everybody film with their phones and then you send out the audio and have them all stitched together as one community project in dreams we play at platinum trophy Dang, Just that's a good idea. Uh, we have a whole bunch of other good ideas today. What, <laughs> what other stories include is The Division 2, teasing the next Assassin's Creed game, GameStop struggling, and Prince Harry hates video games. We'll talk about all that and more because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every week and a variety of platforms, we run you through the nerdy video game news you need to know about. If you like that, be part of the show, patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames. If you are there, put some questions up. Give me your bad PSN names. Give me else. What? Everything under the video game sun. <laughs> then watch us record the show live, twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames. If you're watching live, you have a special job. Go to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong and tell us what we screw up as we screw it up so we can set the record straight for everybody watching later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames, roosterteeth.com, and listening on podcast services around the globe. If you're an audio listener, Portillo is here again. If you're a video listener, he has your his back to you, so he's not a fan of you right now. He just keeps looking at me. What's well, we wrong? could just spin him. Yeah, that's what I usually end up doing. But he looks so sad today. Why are you so it's sad? It's rainy. That's true. He, he wants a, to he, be sleeping. He does hate the rain, and he will be asleep sh- soon enough. Uh, housekeeping for you. Saturday, it's your time to shine, New York City. 3 p.m. at Ease Bar in Morningside Heights. The Kind of Funny World Tour comes to you. Will you be able to beat the incredible turnout we had in Kansas City? Only time will tell. You have a better public transit system, so you should. I'm just saying. Right, Kevin? Yeah, you make a lot of sense, Thank dude. you very much. Uh, remember then, it's going to be your time to shine Vancouver in May, on May 4th. So, 
Get ready. Uh, thank you to our Patreon producers today, Tom Bach, Blackjack, James Davis, and Mohammed Mohammed. Today we're brought to you by 23andMe and Skillshare, but I'll tell you about that later. For now, let's begin the show with what is and forever will be the Roper Report. Time for some games. News, news, news. Four items on the Roper Report. A baker's dozen! It's funny, Andrew. I got home last night, and I was like, how is it only Wednesday night? I'm out of gas. And then as you listen to the how this intro's gone, I am out of gas. <laughs> it has uh, been a couple weeks here, maybe even a lifetime. Uh, number one on the Roper Report is the Division 2 teasing what the next Assassin's Creed game is going to be all about. I found this through Reset Era. Watch the video over on YouTube.com slash Joe Raptor or Jor Raptor. J-O-R-R-A-P-T-O-R if you want to go. It seems like he's got a bunch of Assassin's Creed theories and things up there. But what he had found by going to the fandom page for Assassin's Creed was that Alif Morrisonini had posted an image, right, that was a poster advertising uh, uh, something coming to the JFK Center called Valhalla. Uh, when you look at it, it looks like, yeah, there's just some Viking guy holding a, a, a globe. Big deal. When you punch in on it, it looks like it's the piece of Eden. The Apple of Eden from the Assassin's Creed series. <laughs> so the rumor here then is that what they're extrapolating from this is that, yeah, that it's actually going to be, hey, guess what? Assassin's Creed next time, this uh, next one next year, is going to be a Viking Assassin's Creed. Uh, now, you might say that seems pretty thin, just a stretch there. But remember, of course, Ubisoft teases stuff all the time in their games. Watch Dogs 2 teased Pioneer when you went to Ubisoft and stole that trailer. Let alone that. I didn't even know this. Watch Dogs 2 teased Watch Dogs 3 coming out in 2019 on a poster in the back that I totally never caught or heard about. Or maybe I just forgot about. But that is also you know rumored to be true that E3 we're going to see next Watch Dogs and it'll be coming out in the fall. On top of all that, They'd gone through and put up some uh, Assassin's Creed con- Assassin's Creed concept art, right? That was, you know, some Vikings doing their business out there, out on the thing. And the uh, the author who put it up was like, hey, this is just concept art I had done. It, it's just whatever. It's just personal projects. Don't worry about it. However, when you save the file, it's actually called Assassin's Creed Ragnarok. And the time frame would line up for when the Montreal studio would have been probably entering pre-production on this, according to like Ash over there, right? Where he had put up his thing and LinkedIn and had all this stuff. So... Ladies and gentlemen, it's a lock we're going where it's a Viking game. Right, Andrea? I th- right, Andrea? I think this would be such a perfect setting. Yeah. Not only does it include the ship and naval mechanics that they've really leaned into over the last couple of games, but it lends itself to that amazing Norse mythology, to the supernatural stuff that they've been weaving in and out of the games sure. as well, really for the duration of the franchise. But we've seen in Odyssey and Origins that they've kind of leaned in a little bit heavier and bringing in some of these mythological creatures. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that would be a perfect setting. So I'm all down. And if plus, it's Assassin's Creed Ragnarok. Dude. That title is awesome, isn't Ooh, it, Kevin? It'd be so good. So cool. We fight Thor, fight Loki. I mean, in Assassin's Creed combat is so much better when it's hack and slash. I say get rid of the guns. Don't ever bring them back to AC. Sure. Um, and so if it's just all blade weapons, sure. I'm in. Yeah, Wait, 100%. Have we ever fought any of the gods in the Assassin's Creed thing? Aside from like DLC or like... The well, blade? see... Well, I mean, that may be going into some spoiler territory, Kevin. I, I think I think now with where Assassin's Creed is, you could. And I also think that uh, Odyssey did a really good job of like weaving in stuff like that. If you remember where it was like, oh, you got to fight the Cyclops in the very, very uh, beginning. Yeah, and the Cyclops was just a dude. They called the Cyclops. Like I could see that as like Thor is a blacksmith named Thor. Right. But he's like running the town and you got to take him out. Or but maybe there's actually 
Thor somewhere in, buried in the game. Who knows? Sure. Yeah, we get the hammer. We we become Thor. You know what I mean? Mjolnir. I rock the hammer. That's my favorite weapon in there, so I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope this is true. It lines up with rumors I've heard before. Uh, of course, rumors are a dime a dozen in the video game industry, so who Aren't the hell they? knows? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think, yeah, I'm with you, Angie. That'd be a great fitting, a great thing. And I, again, love the fact that it's going to take longer. It's going to keep percolating, right? That was next year, maybe, we'll actually know about this or hear about this. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's cool. I always love that. I know we, we sit here and talk about Ubisoft and pat them on the back all the time because they do a lot of good things right. But I do love the fact that they do tease their games in between each other and have references to each other and do all sorts of stuff like that. Speaking of doing things right, did you catch their April Fool stuff this week? The For Honor Rabbids? The right? Rabbids and For Honor? Well, I died They a were really bit. in it though, right? Or were they not? I don't even know. Well, I mean, I saw the video on IGN. Sure. Yeah. Well, it was that thing of like, I did it and it was like, but like even Ubisoft's talking about it was like, are they? You'll have to turn it on to find out. I'm like, the fuck I will. I'll just, <laughs> well, I'll going, just tell people that's thing is tonight to download all the Rainbow Six stuff. That was awesome. The Rainbow yeah. Six stuff was awesome. Like the, the way they made that like basically pink lollipops, you know, explosion sparkle level. I was like, that's really cool. That actually did me make me go, you know what? I should download that and get it. And I said, you know what? I'll just go and get all the shaders in division two and then make my character have a pink backpack and pink everything. And that's what I did. And so that's just how I did it. You know what I mean, Kev? Yeah. Kev, come back to the vision too. Uh, you know I want to. Do I have to? Do what I, are you do doing you instead, Kevin? Hanging out with his wife. I was playing The Witness. I've been watching a lot of stuff so I can have things to talk about on screencast because it's just been Game of Thrones. Oh, you mean you're doing time. your job? That's so great to hear. But I always do my job. But... I know, Kevin. But I mean, you're c- further committing. And I approve. Thanks, yeah. Andrea. You've had seven days off the division two, right? Yes. That's I couldn't imagine. I can't I couldn't do it. I'd be puking in a yeah, toilet. I right brought now. the console with and everything, just never had time to actually plug it in. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I when I went down to LA, you know, it was just a super quick trip, less I think it was twenty four hours, less than twenty four hours. I brought it and I was like I went to dinner with Scott Lowe on uh, uh, Wednesday night, right? Is that checkout? No, today's Thursday, so Tuesday night. And it was that thing when I hit him up, I'm like, We can go to dinner. Or we could just go to your house and play this. I have my own system. You have your own system. We do. He's like, I'm kind of far away from where you are. And I'm like, all right, you you make the call. But whatever. But you're First, you're in full Sherpa status now, though, right? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. First thing I did though when I got in, I was check, checking the hotel internet. Sucked, sucks. The, you know what I mean? It always does. I know. This Sometimes I'm not telling you. I've been to these hotels where I have the the the, the Ethernet port there. I've never needed it before. Now it, I'm like, I need it. The Ethernet port is not very good. No, it's not helping me. No, out it's either. still pretty bad. Yeah. I mean the. The best you usually get even hardwired is like maybe 15 megabits. Well, that, I was running something like that at the United Lounge. It was working fine. I was like, all right, yeah. here we go. No, 15 is great. I, I ran Paragon in the lobby of a, Mar- a Marriott once on like four megabits. It was rough, but I did it. This is the streaming future, everybody. We need 5G now. <laughs> I need I need to actually spend 5G the time. Isn't real, Greg. I need to. Sp- I, it will be one day. I need to spend the time to make my phone a hotspot. I haven't done that. That's a big problem. Everybody's like, I should oh, do. But I, I was grandfathered into the unlimited plan. Now people are like, the plans are better than the unlimited plan. But I'm like, I don't have time to look into the plans. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just. I don't care. I want somebody to fix it for me. Kevin, that's your job. <laughs> Number two. GameStop is continuing to struggle. This is from Brendan Sinclair over at gamesindustry.biz. We will go to another gamesindustry.biz article inside of this topic, so stick with me. GameStop put an exclamation point on a difficult 2018 today, announcing full-year financial results featuring the biggest loss in company history. For the 52-week ended February 2, uh, GameStop reported net sales down 3% to two, or $8.29 billion, while the previous year's net profit of $34.7 million had turned into a record $673 million net loss. GameStop noted that its f- fiscal 2017 results encompassed a 53-week period, so the numbers may not look as favorable in light of that extra week of sales. However, the fiscal 2018 numbers also include the company's $700 million sale of its Sprint Mobile chain of AT&T retailers. Spring Mobile. 
Thank you very much. After the sale of Spring Mobile, GameStop said it was dropping part of its push to diversify its business and focus instead on gaming and collectibles. And while the company's collectibles did grow during the last year, up 11% to $707.5 million, its core gaming businesses declined. New hardware sales were down just over 1% to $1.77 billion. New software was down 5% to $2.45 billion. And pre-owned and value products dropped more than 13% to $1.87 billion. That's the big one. I highlighted it. And can, that continued a years-long slide in the company's pre-owned revenues, which last showed year-over-year gains in fiscal 2014. The net loss is unusual, not just in its severity, but that it occurred at all. Since GameStop adopted the name in 2000, it was previously Funko Land, rest in peace, it has only posted two full-year losses. GameStop also announced a, quote, cost-saving and profit improvement initiative, end quote, that will consist of supply chain efficiencies, operational improvements, expense savings, and pricing and promotion optimization. The company expects it will have a minimal impact on fiscal 2019, but hopes it eventually results in a $100 million boost to operating profits on an annual basis. For fiscal 2019, GameStop is expecting total sales to be down 5 to 10%. So, Andrea, the slide continues in terms of GameStop. Sorry, he's just so cute. I, had to I understand. No, trust me. It doesn't throw me. I've done it before where other people are talking, like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, the dog's asleep during a very serious conversation on our serious show where a dog's ass is facing the camera nonstop. Uh, however, I want to bring in Christopher. I said drink, but that's not right, is it? Kevin, go to gamesindustry.biz. I think it's Christopher Dring. Get me a search on that, please. Uh, he has an article up about how used games are dying and how pre-sells are, or uh, sellbacks are dying. Uh, I wanted to pull one little thing from it to toss into this conversation we're having. It's all structural why this is happening. Dring, Thank you very G. much. That's on me. Uh, fewer gamers are trading in products, and therefore there are fewer secondhand games and consoles that are available to sell. This is partially linked to the decline in physical sales and the shift towards digital, a trend GameStop also cited in its latest financial report. But also the rising popularity of games as a service. Customers are simply playing games for longer with fewer reasons to trade them in. But there's another big reason, and one that GameStop's Shane Kim places front and center. Quote, it does have to do with how customers can get some of the older titles, the very inexpensive titles that you can get through either subscription memberships or online in a pretty heavily discounted mode, uh, Kim observed in the firm's latest financial call. Indeed, aggressive digital sales means that consumers are increasingly buying legacy titles as downloads as opposed to secondhand, ga- secondhand games in stores. This is forcing retailers to target their business areas for growth, reducing their activity in the used game space. Andrea, that's a whole bunch of stuff going on right there. It is. What, um, what, what's your initial read? How, how long does GameStop have? Before I answer that, I think it's pertinent for me to mention that we actually had a big GameStop announcement this week where What's Good Games is partnered with GameStop TV and you can now watch our special mini episode of What's Good Games inside GameStop. Nice. So full disclosure that, yes, we are working with them and again. full disclosure, yeah, kind of funny he's done those before with through the Rooster, uh, through the Rooster Teeth stuff right. where we've had you know our videos in there where we talk about top VR titles and stuff like that. Right. So, and obviously I worked for them for several years, so you guys already know that, though. So this is not surprising to me. I think it's important to remember that while that number is staggering. What else is staggering is net sales of $8.29 billion. So they're still selling a ton of stuff. Sure. Uh, which is important to remember, like, 
GameStop is not in a free fall. They are just, you know, continuing to struggle. I think all of the reasons mentioned by Christopher at the end of this article are incredibly important for us to acknowledge. But I think we also have to remember we're at the end of the console life cycle, so they're not pushing hardware. Mm -hmm. And generally, when people are buying a console, they want to go in and pick up the console and bring it home that night. Yeah. Um, We are seeing online sales, of course, taking a bigger and bigger chunk of the market share, but... I know I'm not the only one that's had a terrible experience with online sales. And so when it comes to a big purchase, if I was going to buy a PSVR or if I was going to buy a second Nintendo Switch, I would want to go into a GameStop or a Best Buy or a Target yeah. and pick it up myself and bring it home and know that it's like in my possession with when you. I paid yeah, for yeah, it. Because yeah. I've just had too many shipping things go wrong with Amazon and other online retailers. Um, so where do I think GameStop is going to go? I think that they absolutely need to figure out how to boost more collectibles. I think their acquisition of ThinkGeek was one of the smartest business moves. Um, when I was still working for them, you know, they really had diversified their offering in a way to try to minimize the impact that they saw digital was bringing to brick and mortar retail. Obviously, that didn't work out for them as sure. they have sold off that. And I think refocusing on games and collectibles is actually a better path to victory. Because as I mentioned, there's still going to be a market for people who want to go in and buy something physical in hand because they want to see it or they want to try on a shirt or they want to see what's in the bin. I think the real danger is what Christopher is mentioning here um, and what Shane Kim mentioned on their call is the subscription services. Xbox Game Pass is obviously yeah. the at the forefront of that saying, why would you go to GameStop and pick up a couple of games for five bucks a piece in the discount bin when you can pay $9.99 a month and get access to 100 games on our digital library? And we see other people offering things like that as well. You know, Nintendo's getting in the game and so is PlayStation. Sure. So I think that is going to continue to encroach on GameStop's market share of the used and as they call it value product and that's really kind of the scary part is how far that's going to eat into their overall profits in the years to come right i we've all talked about digital future and this that and the other blah blah and it's crazy i feel that we're seeing the ripples already happening so quickly with gamestop where it was this argument you know throughout uh 20 uh, what 18 where they were trying to sell for a while right they were trying to get you know move it off they couldn't they buckled down they talked about how they're moving into what they described you know these uh you know these tr- trying to write the ship right in terms of how they're going to do it i forget what they called it in the article and i can't find it of course cost saving and profit improvement initiative right i feel like yes with you i, I just when i was in chicago two weeks ago right uh mom and I were walking around and we went on a stri- uh, some strip malls. So we walked into it. She was like, Oh, GameStop. We walked in there and I walked around and, and we were talking about it. Just like, she's like, man, this store's changed a lot since I used to take you there. I'm like, well, yeah, like you see all these Funko pops and t-shirts and socks and stuff. And I was like, this is their initiative to try to stay relevant in an industry that is shifting more and more towards digital. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's going to get worse before it evens out. I think the next thing you're going to see right is them, since they're not they've you know for years been the place to trade in your games and get your credit and go and do it which they will continue to be but as they talk about in this article right and through these statements that's going to continue to dwindle as people continue to play games for longer and also get them through xbox game pass or whatever i feel like what's going to happen when they really get down to brass tacks is they're going to retract real hard where it's going to be they're going to close a bunch of stores i feel like because it is right now how many times and i'm uh, you maybe this is just a chicago suburb thing but i'm sure you've seen it as well across the country you're in a mall and then you look across through there's a game there's a GameStop like you can see game stops from game stops you know what i mean where there are i've seen it where it's you're in one strip mall and you look across the street or the highway and there's another game stop over there like i feel like they were ki- killing it for so long crushing it for so long taking over you know different stores and rebranding them as GameStop. 
I feel like there has to be a retraction of, all right, cool. We have too many stores. We need to close it down and we need to bring down that overhead. We need to refocus the business. Yeah. On getting away more from, Hey, we can, you can buy and sell used games here to, all right, cool. We're the place where you can just get everything and you can get all your collectibles and you can get your system on day one and really fight that way. Right. Bring back to, Hey, I know this sounds crazy. Bring it back to trying to be more in the eyes of people, a mom and grop shop. Right. Like I love going to a comic book shop because I know I can walk in there and talk to anybody about it. I love going to a GameStop because I know I can walk in there and go talk to the clerk and be like, what are you playing right now? You know, what I mean, what, what is you, what going on? If you can bring it back and have it be a more conversational, you know, familiar place there, I think that's a better way to go. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, back several years ago, I used to kind of shoot the shit with some people that I worked with. Um, at the production company that worked with GameStop, we talked about how it would be really great if they would take some flagship stores around the country and make it more like a comic book experience, comic yeah. book shop experience, where they bring in tables to do tabletop or 3DS tournaments or to do like weekly Fortnite tournaments and have a place for people to gather and 100%. share that yeah. uh, camaraderie and that fellowship of being part of gaming culture. And you, um, and you haven't seen somebody tackle it in the way comic shops do, which mm-hmm. I think is a missed opportunity for us. You go to a, a PAX, right? Or you go to an E3 and like what the audience that goes there wants to meet the people who make their games. Like who's going to be in that there are many brick and mortar stores, but GameStop, if they were to shrink it down and do we're doing the we've partnered with PlayStation and we're doing the Last of Us Part Two World Tour, right? And the game's been out for a month more, whatever, but we're gonna have Neil Druckmann come to seven select stores and sign, right? And have a thing like that where you can come out and meet Troy Baker and do all these different things. I think there'd be a power to that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I hope that people internally at GameStop are thinking about how to accomplish those kinds of opportunities, but it's tough um, when people are when companies are used to making X amount of profit and revenue and then they are losing and losing. It's maybe their goal isn't to find a small stable business. Their goal is to sell high and then be done. And I think that's that's what you saw last year. And that's why I think it's going to get so much worse. I think last year when they were, were trying to sell this thing, you're like, "Uh Oh, you know what I mean? They're not happy with their returns and when they couldn't sell it. Now it's going to be, guess what? We have to cut away a whole bunch of stuff to get our, to make it where the profit margin is way higher than it looks on paper right now. Right. And that's where you get scared about the number of stores that are open and who are the lowest performing stores and how to uh, the proximity of stores. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see it all shakes out. Ryan Bickham wrote in to patreon.com slash kind of funny games and says as a former game parentheses similar to GameStop but in the UK employee I would be sad to see video game stores disappear. Personally I see them divis- diversifying in one of two ways. Number one embrace the pre-owned angle and become a retro games market or two focus on gaming as an experience and look into arena gaming. I'm interested to hear the kind of funny crew's thoughts. Uh, yeah we didn't and our pitches to save GameStop right here which by the way Andrea and I available to leave all this behind and become GameStop CEO. <laughs> Joint CEO, co-CEOs. We didn't bring that up. For me, number one, embracing the pre-owned angle and becoming a retro games market. No, I don't think that that doesn't. I don't think you're going to start selling NES and SNES cartridges like the old Funkoland did and find like this is keeping you alive. I mean, no. I mean, they can They could add that to their slate of what they already sell, sure. but that will not sustain a business that's doing eight point nine billion dollars a year. Right. Just and I also not. love that. Like, I feel like that's where so many mom and grop shops have come in and filled the holes, right? When I go to a new city, you know, I look for comic book shops and I look for independent game shops. And when I go to an independent game shop, it usually is a a case full of Game Boy cartridges and SNES stuff and old throwback stuff on top of 
a few new things and statues and DVDs you can buy. And then it is interesting. Number two, focus on gaming as an experience, which is similar to what we're talking about. But then for Ryan to go into the area of arena gaming and you assume esports and stuff, that is an interesting. I don't know how you. I don't know how you go in and take esports and market that. And that's probably because of my own ignorance of esports, but bring it in. I guess you could have an Overwatch League partnership and sell jerseys and stuff. I there. think that that is not a path to victory. GameStop's bread and butter has been the mass market consumer, and that is not an esports aficionado. True. True. And in order to do esports successfully, you have to bring the best of the best when it comes to production, and that means a lot of money. And so, in order for them to even think about entering the space, they would have to spend at least $100 million in overhead to try to like stand toe to toe with people who are already in the space and that's just not who they are they're for for moms and dads who are buying games for their kids they're for for people who like to get you know the biggest games of the year your you know your rockstar games sure. your call of duties your fifas etc cetera, etc cetera. and then they're for hardcore fans who want to get collectibles that, to go with their gaming experience and yeah. i think that that's been their bread and butter obviously they offer a whole lot of other things besides that let me be clear about that but i mean that's where is their main source of revenue and i don't think that they should abandon that i think they should double down yeah it'll be interesting to see how they try to pull themselves out of this number three prince harry wants to ban video games no. <laughs> liz Wait, lanier over at variety has this article prince harry duke of sussex is calling for a ban on of popular battle royale game fortnite according to the daily express oh no you pulled the daily express well i pr- pulled a variety the prominent member of the british royal family visited a ymca in west london and spoke to mental health experts about addictive games and social media saying that the latter is more addictive than drugs and alcohol prince harry specifically called out epic games fortnite saying quote the game shouldn't be allowed it's created to addict he said uh, an addiction to keep you in front of a computer for as long as possible it's so irresponsible end quote Fortnite was recently the target of a lawsuit for its loot boxes which some have accused of being predatory and addictive in the past and gaming disorder is anticipated to pass an addition to the international classification of diseases at next month's world health assembly prince harry urges parents to take action and have their children interact more with the outside world while also acknowledging that many parents don't know how to solve the dilemma quote parents have got their hands up they don't know what to do about it he said it's like waiting for the damage to be done end quote the duke also emphasized the dangers of reliance on social media to form connections quote it's more dangerous because it's normalized and there are no restrictions to it prince harry said referring to social media we are in a mind-altering time. Without that human connection, when when do you when do you have a problem and where when do you have a when do you have a problem and have nowhere to go to? Uh, he continued, "The only place you might go is online, and you will probably end up getting bullied." Uh, the call just weeks after an Oxford researcher warned that a stronger reaction to the fears of gaming addiction was coming. What the fuck, Prince Harry? Yeah. What like, the fuck, man? Also, like, where does he come from a position of knowledge that he should be speaking about gaming addiction anyway? This is the this is the most words I've ever heard out of Prince Harry, and I don't agree with most of them. The thing here that really struck me, without that human connection, when you do have a problem, you have nowhere to go, video games are all about human connection. Well, a game, a multi, about. An online multiplayer game like Fortnite is about playing with your friends. Can you play it solo? Of course. Do you should you go outside yes of course you should go outside too but it's all about balance for for it's, me what stood up to me what stood out to me was this quote parents have got their hands up they don't know what to do about it about it fucking be a parent 
Yes. Say they're using the computer too much and say, don't use the computer that much. It's crazy though because we say that, but I'm sure you get this too. Whenever we're out with our like normie friends that don't work in the industry, like I get this all the time. I've had so many people say, "How do I get my kid to stop playing so much Fortnite?" And I'm like. Take the power plug away from the console. It's that simple. My, I just, mom, my mom did I, that all the time. I also <laughs> said to the, I said to this one this one mom that I met. I was like, you know that you can set Wi-Fi restrictions with your ISP so that you can turn the Wi-Fi off at certain hours of the day, oh, right? Yeah, she didn't know. And she was like, what? Yeah. I go, yeah, they have parental controls built in. So your 14 year old isn't up until two o'clock in the morning playing Fortnite because you can just shut the internet down. Like you can do that. It's a thing that exists. I mean, that's the thing. And like, it's just such a backwards series of quotes from him. And I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know the man, obviously, nor do I know anything about Prince Harry outside of he's a Prince Harry. And yeah. I think he just got married. Was he one of the ones that got married? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. He married Janina's friend, right? That, that's the wedding she went to. We yes. should call Janina and have her get us on the phone with Prince Harry so we can explain all this <laughs> stuff. But it's such like what a are we doing this again we got to relive this cycle too i know i know the world's a matrix we just have the same arguments over and over and over again every few years yeah we're back to this like gaming's an addiction and fortnite's ruining everybody's life like what just fucking be a parent we all made it this far somehow we all all we i wanted to do growing up was play games i'm okay kind of i mean you're mostly okay exactly i mean i didn't come out perfect but i got you know come on prince harry this is very much like a whatever man I just thought it was an interesting one of here we are again and it's Prince Harry leading the charge apparently today. Shut up. Yeah, shut up. Number four and final. Ubisoft has canceled Starlink physical toys. This is Hayden Taylor over at gamesindustry.biz. Following the underperformance of Starlink Battle for Atlas, Ubisoft announced it will no longer be producing any physical toys for the game. The publisher's attempts to tap the toys to life market fell short, causing it to cease any future production plans. Quote, despite the immense and continuous support from our players, the sales for Starlink Battle for Atlas fell below expectations, said the development team in a statement released this week. Consequently, we recently made the decision to not release any additional physical toys for the spring update and in the future, end quote. The development team thanked fans for their engagement and said it was incredibly proud of the modular Starship technology. In an effort to do right by our passionate fans, the team announced it was working on the biggest Starlink update yet and would include new digital ships, pilots, and weapons to collect. Um, I got a hot off the presses hot take from one John Drake. Being in the royal family is addictive and bad for you and parents should discourage their kids from being princes. And that's the thing. They have no power anymore, right? Is it? It's all the no prime power. minister. I watched Love Actually. Hugh Grant didn't have to answer to the queen or anybody. They're just over there getting everything. They're still in control of Canada. It's a, that's got to be that's a kick in the mouth, right? I'm sorry to interrupt the story. We had moved on. I just thought. It was no, it's funny. fine. I don't understand what's happening over there. Why Prince Harry thinks you should speak up about this. Um, so this was writing on the wall. I think when we knew that yes. uh, Starlink was announced and they when they showed the the spaceship for the first time at E3, I think all of us were kind of sitting around scratching our heads like, why? Didn't you see what happened to Disney Infinity? Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? If Lego Dimensions can't didn't make mean it, it wasn't super cool. Like, I played with it and I thought it was really neat oh, and sure. the execution was really well done. And Kevin, you played a lot of Starlink, didn't you? No. It was what Tim was like it, Tim was it Andy who, who I think played Tim and Andy were excited about it. I think Tim played a lot for the Star Fox stuff on Switch. Okay. But I don't know how much of the actual toys he used. Because again, it is all digital in there. Why yeah. of course, why wouldn't you want, rather have that? 
Yeah, I mean, not to say like the toy market is going away altogether, but clearly like the toys to life market within video games. That one was was clearly that one was clearly going away forever. And who knows if it'll ever be back outside of Amiibos and, you know, your Skylanders. But even Skylanders, I feel like it's tapered off, right? I feel like people just collect Amiibos. They don't generally use a lot of them, right? They collect them and then they get the one game like Breath of the Wild or whatever. And it's like, or smashed. It's like, oh, and you just tap them all and Mm -hmm. get whatever. Stupid and then they go back up on your getting. shelf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Per Schneider. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, yeah, but rest in peace, uh, physical Skylink or Starlink things. It'll be interesting to see how much longer they support the game, right? I mean, they're talking about a spring update here, but our biggest update. We'll see what happens. Andrew. Yes. What happens with Starlink though is still so far away. If I wanted something more immediate, like say what came to the mom and grop digital shops today, where would I go? Why, Greg, you would go to the official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the kind of funny game daily show hosts each and every weekday. Yeah. Uh, Death Mark is now available on Steam with a special 20% discount at the launch. Uh, Mars Z Tactical Base Defense, formerly Mars Z Rising, is out on PC. Uh, All PC Black Ops 3 content is now available for Mac on Steam. Or for Mac on Steam. There you go. Uh, the Friends of Ringo Ishikawa is on Switch. Uh, Scorcery is on PS4. Deathmark is on PC. I think I already said that. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's out twice. Uh, Islander, Islanders is on PC. Galactic Campaign is on PC and Mac. And here come the Thursday Switch games. <laughs> Arcade Archives Armed F. Hob, the Definitive Edition. Ugh. Mex... Mextermination. Mextermination. Like extermination, but mextermination. Force is on Switch. Uh, Modern Tales. uh, Age of Invention. Overwhelm. Pitfall Planet. Pressure Overdrive. Royal Advisor. Fuck you, Prince Harry. Safety First. Uh, <laughs> Sethorophic stories, smashing the battle, the friends of Ringo is. Wow, I already said that one too. Man, a lot of doubles today. And then War Theater. And by a lot, I mean two. But that's still more than I normally do. Isn't that right, Kevin? Yep. New dates for you. Uh, Total War, Warhammer 2, latest Lords Pack, The Prophet, and The Warlock come out on April 17th. Kurt's Pell is coming to Steam early access on April 30th. And then Division 2. We knew that tomorrow was going to be the title basin thing. They explained more about this invasion angle that runs for a while. So tomorrow, you get the title basin stronghold, two new exotic weapons, one being a light machine gun and a sniper rifle, three new gear sets, an apparel event, and then a new PvP map. Then, April 25th, Operation Dark Hours starts. It's the raid, and you get classified assignments. And then after that somewhere, you're getting specialization number four, which is a Gatling gun that they showed in the new trailer. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You back, Kev? I love Gatling guns, maybe. Yeah. I've been enjoying my uh, demolitionist grenade launcher yeah i mm-hmm. want man I, I do survivalist with the crossbow and it was that when i got in there when i was look when i was looking before i invested uh right at the end game and i saw that that one came with the uh, bonus perks for assault rifles which is all i use is my primary i was like mm-hmm. well i gotta go here and see never my bonus back. perks were for lmgs and smgs and i was like see it's like match made in heaven I'm telling you this see that's the thing is i i'm almost maxed out now i almost i almost have all my points into all the things for survivalist right and so you can respec and try the other ones. Oh, 100%, but I'm never going to do that. <laughs> uh, Greg Miller makes a choice and sticks with it, all right? I get it. Uh, I'm wondering now, like, it, ha- I, it has shotgun bonus damage, which I've, so I've been using a shotgun as a secondary forever, and then it's got the roly-poly balls that Kevin loves so much. Seeker mines, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's got, I haven't started investing in those, but when I finally tap out, I think that's the last tree I have to do. When I finally get those, I'm like, am I going to replace now my turret with those? Because obviously I want the bonuses there, too. Who knows? Division 2, a great game. Only game you need. Game of the year. Deals of the day. Xbox had this to report. It's April, which means the sun is coming out. Flowers are blooming and we're at the halfway point to Halloween. While the days are looking a little brighter, the ID at Xbox team preferred to cling to the dusk this month to show. Oh, my page is stuck together. 
to show our appreciation for dark frightful fun we put over 45 fantastic horror games on sale up to 75 percent off now through april 8th in the id xbox horror sale uh there's like they say 45 more than 45 but they include friday the 13th dead by daylight home sweet home and outlast so if you like the scary games get on over there now time for reader mail but first i'm gonna tell you about our sponsors uh 23 and me is a thing we use oh we're doing the one shot i wasn't prepared for that look at my dog's butt uh with 23 and me's health and ancestry service kit you can explore 125 plus personalized genetic reports that may reveal the link between your dna and your health traits and more uh including your chances at developing certain diseases 23andMe recently released their newest health report on type 2 diabetes, which tells you your genetic likelihood for developing the disease and gives your personalized results and tools that could help with the prevention. Diabetes is a growing public health challenge. One in three adults in the United States has prediabetes, but 90% of those with prediabetes don't know they have it. Type 2 diabetes is influenced by genetics. It's not just lifestyle and weight. Type 2 diabetes is a, com- is, is a condition that typically develops as we get older and is caused by many factors including diet, lack of pop- proper exercise, weight gain, and our genes. 23andMe's Type 2 Diabetes Report offers insights into your genetic likelihood for developing type 2 diabetes and empowers you with personalized results and tools that may help you prevent the disease. Uh, The report was developed by 23andMe scientists using data and insights gathered from more than 2.5 million 23andMe customers who consented to participate in their research. I'm one of those people. Of course, you know I did this a while back, found out I'm very European and white, and I said, yeah, use my data, do whatever. So I get the reports (laughs) now of like, hey, check in on this thing. This is a new thing. You should go ahead and see your results. And I do. Uh, you can order your 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash games. That's the number 23andme.com slash games. Again, that's 23andme.com slash games. Next sponsor, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. Tim used the classes for visual effects to help make the hype trailer for Kind of Funny 4.0, and he says Nick did too for some other project, but can't remember which one. Premium membership gives you unlimited access so you can join the classes and communities that are right for you. Whether you want to fuel your curiosity, creativity, or even career, Skillshare is the perfect place to keep you learning and thriving. Highlights from one, we've talked about them. Uh, Nick did the thing for something, and then uh, Tim did it all for that. But again, Skillshare has all sorts of stuff, not just video editing. Skillshare is also super affordable, and annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Join more than 7 million creators learning with Skillshare, the first 500 people to go over to the link in youtube.com slash kind of funny games this episode of kind of funny games daily we'll get a two month free trial that's right first 500 of my subscribers use the link in the description of this video get a two month free trial kevin it's time for reader mail thank you good job kev alex russ zero syndicate wrote into patreon.com slash kind of funny games with his question like so many of you did and says casey huston let me try that again. Casey Hudson has made a response to the Kotaku article by Jason Schreier on the working conditions in Bioware. Uh, if you missed it, of course, throughout this week, Schreier had an article about, hey, here's what happened with Anthem. Uh, he published it uh, immediately. E- or Bioware put up a statement over on their site about it, but not, they didn't comment for the article. And then overnight, uh, Casey or Hudson had put out a thing to Bioware, an uh, open letter, a memo to everybody talking about everything. That then got leaked back to Jason, who put it out as well. Uh, the one pertinent detail for this question, this is Casey. The article mentions many of the problems in the development of Anthem and some of our previous projects, and it draws a link between those issues and the quality of our workplace and the well-being of our staff. These problems are real, and it's our top priority to continue working to solve them, end quote. 
The thing that got me was at the end of Jason's article posted today that other developers chimed in saying, quote, replace Bioware with my company name, and it's the same story, end quote. It's a scary thing to think about. It was almost something that was taught going through college eight years ago, that we'd have to make sacrifices uh, to make games in this industry. Game development is not for everyone. It's extremely stressful and most often very unstable. Stories like these continue to come out, and yet I'm not sure what we can do to really help the situation. It seems the culture of passion, in quotes, uh, driving you to do more beyond a healthy means is normal within the industry, or at least the culture, the culture slash practice is made out to be normal. We know it's not, and I love great games, but not at the expense of those creating it. Perhaps speak out at an IGDA meetups or, uh, on how to do things better, or is there something consumers could do? The conversation is a start, but the industry is in a tough place. You're right, Alex. It's in an incredibly tough place right now as this continues to happen. Uh, you know, you brought up this morning when we were talking about this, right? Of like, of course, Red Dead, right? All the Rockstar stuff happened and it was a back and forth about that. And then Red Dead came out and now we talk mainly about how great Red Dead is, right? It seems like we have these flare ups at the launch of a game or right after a game where we try to figure out what's going on, what's sustainable, how does any of this work? And Alex, you know, you bring up a great point that it's really hard for us as consumers. Like I talk to all sorts of developers, right? And I talk about their crunch. I talk about what's going on with the game. I talk about how, what it's like to work there. But since I don't work there, I don't know what that's like. And I don't know the external slash internal pressure they're feeling to do what they do. The thing we always come back to, right? And Tim and I have talked about this. We've talked about it with you on the shows is that the problem I feel is that you, you know, you, you talked about it being passion, Alex, right? You put it, you, you, a culture of passion driving you to do more beyond your means, right? That's the problem when our hobbies or our love or our art become our career. Like, and I know this is like apples and oranges to an extent, but like, it's the same way when it's kind of funny live, right? Tim crunch or a game showcase, Tim crunches, you know, not he's, he's editing stuff till two, three in the morning to five in the morning sometimes to then sleep for a couple hours, then come and do the show. But to make sure he's hitting those deadlines Uh, on the same way with the showcase where it was like, you know, trying to assemble people and get them all organized. And that was late nights and that was ignoring Jen and it was all these different things. Now, granted, that's one thing that happened at the end of the year last year, or if it's, you know, if we're talking about like kind of funny live, there's little flare ups here and there. It's not crunching for nine months, trying to hit a game and get it out the door and do this, blah, blah, blah. It's not you crunching with 300 other people, but it's the same way that at IGN, when I, when I was there in the old days, like the olden days, it was like a badge of honor to work in the E3 war room until they kicked you out or work till 3am and stumble home and then get up at 8am and run off and do your next thing and write all this stuff and generate all this content and skip you know, the team meet, I can't tell you how many times there was like, Oh man, post E three part or uh, dinner. And like people would skip it cause they were still writing stuff. And that's the issue with this creativity driven career, right? Am I wrong? You're not wrong at all. Everything you said has made sense. And we've talked about it on this show before. Um, you know, Alex here is saying, you know, it seems that this culture of passion driving you to do more beyond a healthy means is normal within the industry. At least the culture of practice is made out to be normal. We know it's not. I would maybe disagree that we know it's not. I think that a lot of people assume that this is what you need to do to to make it. And I would say that they're right. As somebody who's been working in the creative business for, you know, 
the better part of a uh, part of my life now. I mean, it's not just video games, whether you work in TV or music or yeah. movies or anything that's really entertainment driven because it's so highly competitive and so many people want to be involved in these industries. You really have to do whatever it takes to be successful. And a lot of times that means pushing yourself beyond normal work hours. Now, I think it's always important to self-assess like where you're at and saying, if you need a break, take a break. Yeah. Like if you've had too many late nights in a row or if you've had too many you know, stressful meetings and you need to take a step back, take the break. But then once you're ready, get back in there and work super hard again. And I feel and like I think, that, that, that's the thing that gets lost sometimes, right. right? Is the idea that I think there's a difference of a kind of funny Andy wants to edit till three in the morning at home. And I'm like, don't fucking do that. But he does it. Or Kevin, you know, keeps taking on projects and I try to stop him, right? I'd like to think, and maybe I'm wrong, that it's they know they can stop when they want to. They know they can take a break when they want to. It's literally them doing it. And I can't slap the keyboard or things out of your hands to make you stop doing it. And so I think that's the issue, especially with the Bioware thing and then especially with the Red Dead thing, right, where it was. Well, Dan Hauser's across the hall working nonstop and I don't want I'm. I don't want the stink eye. I don't want to be looked down on. You hear these stories and I'm now moving away from the two examples. Mm -hmm. You hear stories about big developers that it is we're reprimanded. You know, there is a knock that you do hear something if you're not there till 9:30. And I think those are two separate issues that, that easily get conflated when we have this conversation. We seem to have it a lot. Cuz I think sometimes, you know, when we talk about these, we forget like the bedrock of the American dream is that you Bootstraps. work is that you work, 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 work and then you get to reap the benefits of that hard work. But you don't get to reap the benefits by punching in at 9 and punching out at 5. Like that's just not the way that the entrepreneurial spirit really functions in the United States today and like obviously this is a much bigger conversation that goes out globally but I think what's important is we're finally getting to a place where we're having open conversations about mental health and what that means and what it means in the workplace and having people say well maybe I have some other illnesses that maybe you don't see you know people that I know that maybe suffer from chronic illnesses or things like that and it's like you need to be able to take time away but then once you're healthy again if you're ready to get back in there get back in there but most importantly if it's not for you if you decided I don't want to do this it's too much work it's too stressful it's making me physically or mentally ill then you should step away and I think that once we're able to have that open conversation that it'll provide for more workplaces but I don't think the answer is you know stifling creativity and not allowing people who are ready willing and able to work to be able to work I think it all comes down to environment and the mental health some I want to put a pin in it because the next question leads right into that and you're right but it's the idea I think in some ways similar to how anything gets started, right? When you look back at how video games began and it was these ragtag groups of developers who did want to sleep at their desk and work all the stuff and blah, 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 and they were in it together and they were all in there. They're all barely 20. They're all part, you know what I mean? Like you read stories about Atari or anybody, right? Like crazy things are happening. I think it was that idea that uh, this is how you make games. It's crazy and it's a party, but we work real hard and we, you know, run ourselves ragged. And then you got into where it was like, now it's a big business. Now it's a big corporation. And like, you had the business side of it get put on top of it, right? That then went down, but people were still making those games. Suddenly, did they feel like they were reaping the same rewards? Teams get extremely big. It all keeps happening. And then to what you're saying, it comes down Mm -hmm. to what is the mandate for how you're working? Are you working because you're inspired and you want to, or are you working because you're, you have the fear of God of what's about to happen if you don't, and you don't want to be the person called out? Absolutely. Uh, Borzin double zero writes in, to patreon.com slash kind of funny games and says good morning Greg and Andrea Casey Hudson sent out an email yesterday saying that after reading Jason's article he is committed to fix the issues at his studio I feel this might take them off the frostbite engine or maybe change production schedules and the real mental health issues that were addressed parentheses 
and in my opinion, or the bigger issue at play here is going to be ignored. So again, zero, zero, they're saying basically they're going to worry more about the technical side of it and not the people side of it. Uh, mental health in all of North America seems to be the issue. We do not talk. We do not talk more about and just expect people who are suffering to fix themselves. Do you think Casey and EA will take the mental health issue seriously and help change the whole industry or will sufferers just be ignored completely? I don't think sufferers will be ignored completely. I mean, we finally, like I just mentioned, have gotten to a place in culture where we can openly talk about it. Granted, we still have a long ways to go, but I'm really glad that Casey clarified because there was a lot of issues with the statement that EA put out. And obviously, you know, Jason did a fantastic job with his article and highly recommend everybody take the time to read the full thing. Um, But I think one of the reasons why Bioware looked to bring Casey back was because they saw that like the ship was going down. Right? They're like, sure. this is bad. We're in a bad place. We need some leadership back that's going to like course correct what's happening. And you, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, so Casey's been there a little while now and he's clearly based off his statement. If, if that's all we're going at. But I know it's not after conversations I've personally had with him. He's doing what he can to provide the leadership that clearly the studio so desperately needed. If I can call some stuff. Yeah. Back to Casey's letter here. Right. When I was offered the opportunity to return to Bioware as GM, I came into the role knowing the studio was experiencing significant challenges in team health, creative vision and organizational focus. I was and continue to be excited to help drive improvements in those areas because I love this studio. And above all, I want to create a place where you all of you are happy and successful. I'm not going to tell you I've done a good job at that. And on a day like today, I certainly feel like I haven't. But some of the steps we've taken towards this include a more focused studio mission and values so that we have clarity on what we are here to do and how how we define a high standard for our studio culture. We updated our studio structure and he goes on with the things they're doing and how they're moving. But it is your point of like, clearly he came in knowing that the team in Bioware needed some structure, right? And needed help and needed this. So it is a move to your question. Zero zero, right? Of like, do you think they're going to help change this mental health issue and have mental health seriously in the whole industry? I think we're already on that road. This is for me personally. And you know, this is my opinion, obviously that, when Jason does these reports, when he puts this out in Kotaku and Cecilia and anybody who's reporting on, hey, here's toxic studio culture. Here's a huge fucking problem that you if you don't bring those stories to light, there is no impetus to change. There is no voice from the consumer gamer saying, oh, I don't want games at the expense of people's livelihoods, right? I don't want to have people who are assholes at the top making your life work and you're worse and you feel like your art's not appreciated. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like telling these stories and forcing them into the light, forcing these statements into light from people like Casey, you see the change you need, right? Otherwise, if you know, if no one, this is the role of journalism. If no one's holding the people in power accountable, nothing changes. You would never know that there's a problem. How, how would you know other than maybe somebody posting something over on a subreddit under a fake name that you can't even take seriously, that something's wrong at developer X, unless there was action. And that's the thing of like, you know, I think it was interesting on day of Jason's article. One of the things people had issue with was that it was all like anonymous sources, right? Because they wanted to keep their job. I think it's powerful today. You have this statement from Casey that is like, we know these issues exist. You know what I mean? We're working on them and blah, blah. blah. So confirming that that article is true. This is the issue that, or at least some of it is the issue. That's what's going on. And I think by telling those stories, by having this kind of conversation as consumers, by having the conversations you see at GDC, by having the conversation about unions, whether at all, wherever it nets out, it's going to net out better than everybody being silenced and feeling like, oh, this is how I work. And I think you see people telling Jason, right? uh, And multiple people, apparently that if you replace EA or Bioware with my developer name, it's the same thing. Like that's a systemic problem. And if you can't talk to each other in giant groups to know that that's a systemic problem, nothing's going to change. 
So I think we're on a way to a better video game industry. I definitely think that's what we want and I'm to point at myself, but I mean us as gamers, we want out of it. And I think you'll continue to see people strive for that and change that way. I M O next question is Alec from Minnesota, Minnesota. That's right. Go Gophers. <laughs> there it is. Alec on patreon.com slash kind of funny game says I wanted to talk briefly about the Sekiro slash difficulty in games debate that was happening across the internet yesterday. I saw many people fighting over the ideas of accessibility in games versus creative vision of developers and I wanted to get your thoughts on the matter. Danny O'Dwyer made an excellent video about the topic which I think should be required viewing. Watch it this morning. It's very good. Uh, he talks about how this argument has multiple sides to it and how you can't talk about one issue without involving the other issues. My question is do you think there is a way to please everyone. Do you think we can ever find some balance between accessibility versus challenge versus creative direction? Of course, this stems from the yesterday where it exploded all over the internet, but then even the day before with Capitalist Pig here on the show, there was right. a question about all this where we were talking about it. And it was that we went into it and well, should secure have an easy mode or not even an easy mode, a more accessible mode should be able to dial down difficulty or you know, blah, 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 and a back and forth and all these different things. What was interesting about it in terms of this question, Alec, is my question is, do you think there is a way to please everyone? No, no, there is no way to please everyone. If you love kind of funny games daily, guess what? There are a bunch of people that fucking hate it like that. There's no way we can make a show that will be. Do you ever think we can find some balance between accessibility versus challenge versus creative direction? Yes. 100%. I think we can. I think you've already seen that begin to happen. You know, I mentioned on Monday show, Steve Saylor, the blind gamer, right? Where he had talked about how Ubisoft had brought him in and a whole bunch of other accessibility people. Obviously, Steven Spawn, able gamer. We've talked about the Xbox adaptive controller that again, much like what I think we're talking about in the last story of, hey, the more we talk about this, the better we can get at it. And the more we can figure these things out. I think you're seeing uh, pushes that way. Balance will continue to come up. I don't think it's ever going to be perfectly balanced. I don't think every game is ever going to be for everybody. I just think that's how games are right in this artistic form. I think that's what creative works in general are. Yeah, but I've already said my piece. You've talked about this before. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the conversation happening around Sekiro reminds me so much of the conversation we had around Cuphead when it first came mm, out yeah. and how I was incredibly frustrated with how difficult Cuphead was because I wanted to enjoy the music and the art of that game. And I couldn't because I just couldn't progress to the later levels because I couldn't invest the time in order to master the mechanics of that game. And what... I feel like we're literally just in an echo chamber in sure. the same thing. And we knew that this conversation was going to come up when another from software game was released because there is this hardcore fan base of from software games that live for how difficult they are and yeah. how you really need to master the mechanics. And I think that there's gotta be a balance and like some of the nasty things being thrown around, particularly to people who are disabled has been really sickening to me. Of course. And it's like, and it, it moves so far away from, I think, the issue, right? right. What the nor- nature of the conversation is, whatever. Uh, we've talked about it before. Monday, there's a, ta- a conversation about it between me and Capitalist Pig. However, Steve Saylor, the man himself, the blind gamer, made a YouTube video over on his channel, youtube.com slash snowball, but then wrote in with this letter. As disabled gamers, we want to play the same games that everyone else is playing. By saying that the games were designed to be challenging and feeling that joy of beating the boss because it was difficult and fun is fine. Problem with that argument is that's what it's like for disabled gamers for each and every game we play. We want a challenge. We don't want the game to be too easy. We want to trade war stories of beating that mini boss because of how hard it is. The problem with a preset difficulty is its exclusion. It's excluding players because of a physical disability. Sekiro isn't an anomaly in this. There are many games that have a preset difficulty, Division 2 included. 
Since we last talked, Greg, on the Division 2 launch day, I've had to stop playing the game because I can't play solo anymore. Sure, I can play with friends, but a majority of my friends don't own the game, let alone have time to play it with play it and strangers won't understand how to best play with a disabled gamer in the video i gave in the video i gave the one we're talking about earlier i gave the example of assassin's creed i couldn't play any of those games because it had a preset difficulty level some would argue it was too easy to play and the difficulty wasn't that high it was enough for me to give up the games altogether but when assassin's creed origins and odyssey came out with the ability to change the difficulty level i could finally play and enjoy what players have enjoyed about the franchise since the beginning Origins and Odyssey are some are, are one of my favorite games of all time because there was an accessibility feature as simple as difficulty setting. We're not asking for a watered down version of the game that changes the challenge for abled gamers. Uh, we, oh, I'm sorry, all we ask is that we're given a choice on what game. I'm going to try this all again. All we ask is that we are given the choice on what games we want to play instead of being forced to make the choice. So yeah, that's the whole thing with the argument is that I think. I, when we started into it on Monday, me and Capitalist Pig, I wasn't even thinking about accessibility, right? I was thinking mainly of like, oh, well, those games aren't for me, Greg Miller, because like I'm just not into that kind of gameplay. But then when you get into a conversation like this, like, oh, that's, yeah, I don't even think about that. And that's why Danny's art, art, uh, video is so interesting, where he's like, it's a three pronged thing and nobody's wrong, really, as he talks about like jumping between them and how you can't talk about one without the other and all these different things. So yeah. it's an ongoing discussion that, again, back to the question of balance, I think gets us closer every time we have it. Where it is that more more developers see this and probably are like me, like, oh, I didn't even think about that. All right, cool. What can we do to make our games accessible? And then there's going to be developers who are like, well, no, that's not what we want out of our game. I'm giving you a very experience, a very s- specific experience. And again, that's okay. That's their choice to be able to do. It's a big old ball of wax that we have to keep figuring out as we go. Isn't that right, Barrett? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to squat up. This is where one of you writes in kindoffunny.com slash Patreon. You give me your name, username, platform of choice, and I read it here so the best friends can come and find you and everybody can play games together. Derek needs help on PlayStation 4. His PSN is The Cakers Man. All one word, The Cakers Man. I've never played Borderlands before, and I'm giving it my first go with the new Game of the Year edition. I dig having some best friends to experience it with. I'm East Coast and mostly play dad hours, usually between 9 and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. If you... Want to go play Borderlands with Derek, a.k.a. The Cakers Man. Hit him up on that PlayStation Network. Andrew, it's time for You're Wrong. Let's do it. Um, Kill Zax writes in. Of course, if you're watching live, Patreon.com. Or no, uh, kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. Tell me what I screw up. Uh, Kill Axe writes in and says, I said your raptor himself pronounces his name your raptor. So there you go. Um, Capitalist Pig wrote in and says, uh, read the GameStop retro sales. GameStop as a company is already in the retro business and has been for a few years. It's just not in most stores. Found mostly online, the accounts it accounts for an extremely small percentage of their overall revenue. And then TG Burt says, for the Division 2, the specialization points are class specific. Even if you respec, it only resets that specialization. You cannot use points in one class for another. Greg would have to actually level all the other specializations in the points. Yeah, I know. I think maybe that was just we were just we were just clear we just were unclear where we were talking about oh have you switched on I'm like no I'm all about this and I need to un- I'm, I'm building to unlock this and you were like well you can re- oh yeah no you can't it's bring the clear. points over to another tree just, sorry if just, that was unclear just, we're just clarifying no big deal but yeah but, but that's cool. more replayability so of you course just grind yeah, you know what I mean? I wanna, just what I want to do grind for some other thing I'm not going to use you know what I mean no son <laughs> I'm in that division thing to save DC save it god damn it my plan I might need I might be doing my own squad up because my plan is we have to fly to New York tomorrow to see a bunch of dirtbag kids at the kind of funny world tour right dirt but they're bags. releasing the stronghold you know overnight in the update right. so I think what I might do is set an alarm for 7am get on the playstation play through the stronghold there maybe knock out a couple dailies then go to the airport 
So if you're if you're in the kind of funny clan and you're looking for that information, let me know. Mm, I'm tempted, Greg. That's my girl. It's Frandria show tomorrow. Woo, woo. Oh, see, that was the thing. Well, I, like it's gonna. I, I texted Fran this entire plan, and then I was like, "Oh wait, lol. Like you're gonna be, you're gonna be doing the show. Like you can Because I was like, "We'll play till we'll play till ten thirty, and then I'll go." And I was like, "Oh wait, now nah, you're you're middle of the show. Now we gotta be point. here." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been kind of funny games daily if you like this show please share it with your friends tell somebody go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games kick us a few bucks of course you get every episode ad free over there remember you can watch us record the show live twitch.tv slash kind of funny games you can watch it later youtube.com slash kind of funny games roosterteeth.com and you can listen on podcast services around the globe tomorrow it's the frandria show fran and andrea who do you who's gonna be fran asked me last night and i had no question do I'm, you, I'm gonna host you're gonna so you're gonna build the dock and all that stuff i do love fran's um who um, jingle that he does, but cool. There I'm you taking, go. I'm taking control. Fran, your second banana tomorrow. I'll try to remember to tell you, but if not, I hope you watch the shows. <laughs> yeah, I know you probably. No, he's probably no, doing no his hair right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, until next time. It's been our pleasure to serve you. Oh, we caught Kevin sleepy on.